as we all look together this morning at Exodus chapter 17. This is our conclusion to our series on the Exodus. And I'll be reading Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. And see in some of your faces that you were expecting maybe more shepherds and angels in the message this morning, and even maybe some babies. And we'll get to some of that later, and I urge you to come back this evening. We'll be right there in the middle of the shepherds this evening um, at our 5 o'clock special service. But some of you are asking and wondering, and will come up to me afterwards, because it happens every year, why, oh why, pastor, are we looking at a story like this on Christmas Eve of all days? And my answer is this, every story in the Bible points us to Christmas, and Christmas explains for us every story in the Bible. And this, in particular, is a story about thirst, a thirst that is not satisfied until God steps in strangely, unexpectedly, and even violently, and miraculously satisfies His people. The story of the baby in the manger that we hear so much about this time of year is likewise the story of a world with a thirst that cannot be satisfied until God steps in, strangely, unexpectedly, even violently, and miraculously satisfies His people. These past four weeks we've been pointing out that Advent is, is not just extended Christmas, Advent is the build-up, it's the lead-up to the moment of Christmas. And during that time of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we are reminded of our hunger and our thirst, of our despair and of our longing, of our deep, abiding, and holy dissatisfaction, which drives us to look to God and to cry out to Him. For Him to give peace where there is conflict, to give justice where there is injustice, to give comfort where there is pain, to give welcome where there is loneliness, and to give satisfaction where there is longing. In Christ, we are given all of that. And so Christmas is a celebration of the coming of satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And so we are going to look this morning at the story of a people who were in need of satisfaction. The first thing we see in their story is that in the wilderness, we are unsatisfied. 
in the wilderness, we are unsatisfied. I'm sure that when you woke up this morning and planned to go to worship, you were thinking, gee, I really hope I get a geography lesson today at church. Well, you are in luck. Because we have to understand where this story takes place, otherwise it doesn't really land for us. And when we do see where it takes place, we'll start to see how we relate. The Israelites, as we've seen in past weeks, they were coming up out of Egypt. They'd passed through the Red Sea. Where they'd been living, everyone was along the banks of the Nile with with finely constructed irrigation to bring water to every home. That's what they left behind, the abundance of the Nile. And where they're headed, the promised land of Canaan, uh, I I shared last week, was in what's called the Fertile Crescent. It's this beautifully fertile land uh, with the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, and there's wonderful water supply all around. But, But in between, the journey from where they were and where they're headed was wilderness, this desert expanse where there was hardly a drop of water and nothing was growing. We saw in verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at a place called Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. And their journey runs parallel to yours, because you and I, we are headed, we are moving all our lives towards a satisfaction that God has prepared for us. If you are in Christ, you are promised a complete and total satisfaction in the kingdom of God where there is no longer any need, no longer any lack, no longer any want. But you're not there yet. And as we travel, we find ourselves in something like the wilderness. Because in the wilderness, we thirst. Our desires come out. We sense that things are missing. The things That there are things that we are needing. We thirst, we desire peace. We desire comfort, we desire security, we desire acceptance, we we desire understanding. These are the thirsts that confront us in the wilderness, in the land of lacking. And like God's people in the wilderness, we know we are missing the things that we deeply want and the things that we truly need. Verse 3, the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? We, we can't fault them for being thirsty. I'm not saying you shouldn't have desire. That's Buddhism. And this is not Treasure Coast Buddhist gathering. Okay, Buddhism is about killing of desires and saying, I'm not going to want anything anymore. But in Christ, we look at our desires and say, this is a good thing. This points me to something real, something meant for me, something I was made for. The lack of water was a real problem for them. They weren't wrong to be thirsty. And we are in a world where there are real, true problems. We have real concerns, desires, and unmet needs for good things. We are created to live in a different kind of world. And every day we spend apart from that world is a day in the wilderness facing desires that need to be satisfied. But when we experience those desires, we have to let them teach us something. That thirst is made to be quenched. The author C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I think I have on the slides here. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. 
a duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Our desires point us to the promise that God has made us to be satisfied. Our, our desires are not bad. Our desires are signs that should point us to God. Jesus, when he was on earth, said in John 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what the Christ child was born for to bring abundant life, to bring satisfaction to people who are unsatisfied. And yet, we are in the wilderness and we are unsatisfied. One of my favorite Christmas carols is a, a musical setting of the poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was writing during the time of the Civil War. In 1861, his beloved wife died in a fire. A few years later, his son ran away from home to join the army and to fight in the Civil War and was wounded painfully in that war. All around, war ravaged the land. And he wrote, I'm just going to give you a few verses of a longer poem. The whole thing is worth reading. But he wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what we desire. Peace on earth. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow looked at the world and said, yes, I desire these things, but this world is a wilderness where my desires are not satisfied. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's sung rightly as a Christmas song. Because not only does it begin, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, but why did the bells on Christmas Day ring this message that God is not dead nor doth He sleep? It's because on Christmas we are reminded of how God entered our situation, entered our world. Advent is a time when our desires, our thirst is exposed and lifted up until the message of Christmas reminds us that God's intention is to satisfy our deep, deep longings in a weary world. And so in our other Christmas songs, we sing, O come, desire of nations, come. The desire of nations. Or how about this? A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We are wandering in the wilderness of a weary world. And we are reminded that we will not be satisfied. The problem, friends, is not that you are thirsty. In fact, let that dissatisfaction point you to the world that God intended for you. A world of justice. A world of peace. A world of community. A world of joy. A world described in the Old Testament in the word shalom. A fullness of flourishing. In the wilderness, we are unsatisfied, but we will not forever be so. The next thing we see about the journey of Israel in the wilderness 
As we follow them, they're confronted by their desires, which we've established are not bad. It's not bad to be thirsty. The problem was not their desire. Their problem was how they responded to it. Verse 7, Moses called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling, Massa, of the people of Israel, and because they tested Meribah, the Lord, by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? While they were unsatisfied, they doubted. In their thirst, they questioned if God was even with them. And that, I don't think, is very hard for us to understand or relate to. We wonder how we can be satisfied. How many of us in times of difficulty, in times when we aren't satisfied by something in our life, quickly draw the conclusion that God must not be on our side or that He is not able to help us? Or even do as the Israelites did in verses 1 and 2. There was no water for the people to drink. And so they quarreled with Moses and said to him, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? When confronted with their desires, what's the first thing they did? They blamed someone else. They blamed Moses, their leader. And Moses quickly corrected them, saying, Look, don't look to me. Don't look to me to provide what only God can give you. But, but we do the same thing, don't we? We have a deep need and desire for acceptance. So where do we turn? We look to others to give us approval and affirmation. We try to play along with what we think they want us to be. We try to look the way others want us to look, to talk the way others want us to talk because we desire acceptance and we look somewhere else. Or my deep hunger for security. Where do I look for security? Is it for, to my money? Is it to my family? Is it to my job? Where am I looking to to get security? When my life is lacking joy or comfort or peace, I try to blame other people and other things saying, it's your job to satisfy me. It's your job to make me secure. It's your job to make me feel loved. We say it to our spouse. We say it to our job. We say it to our kids. We say it to our bank account. Why have you left me thirsty? Why aren't you giving me what I need? We are like the people of Israel years later when the Lord condemned them with these words in Jeremiah 2. My people, he says, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Describing an image in a desert land where you, where you dig out and, and basically make an in-ground pool, a cistern that would hold water, and you, you line it with clay and other things to, to catch the water as the rain falls. And he says, look, you've got a, a, a living spring that you can drink from, and you've rejected it. You've instead hewed out and dug out a cistern that's cracked and broken and can't even hold water. No wonder you're unsatisfied. And this is what we do. We have a fountain of living water that gives us the affirmation and the acceptance and security that we need. And then we go and we beg and we plead with others to just love us in the way we want to be loved. We have a fountain of living water that assures us of a bright future and eternal life. And yet we, we live as if these things were not true and we try to carve out a future for ourselves, a broken cistern that holds no water, 
we wonder how we're going to be satisfied. If our thirst, if our desires have led us to doubt the Lord, it may be because we have been looking at the wrong things to satisfy us. And this is what the people of Israel did. The Lord said they tested Him. They tested Him in saying, Is God even among us? They are doubting God. But they're not looking to Him for what He has promised. They're looking somewhere else. It has become almost cliche to complain about commercialism that has taken over the season of Christmas. But it's especially evil when we view it in this light. Christmas has become a time for many people to pursue at, an, at a level of 11. They just amp it up even higher. That They pursue satisfaction with stuff. We make lists. We spend money. We live and we celebrate to excess. And the very, very sad reality is that most people end up feeling an even greater emptiness at the other side of it. A greater dissatisfaction, a deeper despair and doubt. Because these things were never meant to satisfy. And yet we have put on them a burden they cannot sustain. And the heart, at the heart of the Christmas message is the warning that these things were never meant to satisfy. We wonder how we will be satisfied. We are Israel complaining to Moses that he didn't give us water when Moses was never meant to give them water. God alone could supply what they were lacking. God alone could satisfy them. But instead we wonder, why? Why am I so thirsty? Why am I still unsatisfied? How will I ever get what I, I just need more? I don't have enough. But we're wrong. Like a child trying to sneak peeks at the presents under the tree. Asking if we can speed things up until that day. We just want more and we want it now. But one of the lessons of Christmas is to not grow impatient with God as He plans to satisfy us. Jesus was born hundreds of years after His people. Hundreds of years of His people waiting for God to help them. For centuries they waited and wondered how they would be satisfied. They held on to the promises that God would deliver them, that He would send them a great king and a great prophet to rescue them and deliver them and to bring them their ultimate satisfaction, always looking forward to what God had promised. And then finally the Savior appeared, but not in the way they expected. And He didn't finish the job. In fact, before He could conquer Rome and bring peace to His people, He Himself seemingly was destroyed. And now there is still war and injustice and unfairness and oppression and sin and sickness and loneliness and death. And now here we are generations and generations later and we still wonder if we will ever be satisfied. And we hear the mocking words of those who disbelieve echoed in 2 Peter 3. They say, where is this promise of His coming? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing has changed, y'all. God isn't showing up for you. Nothing has changed and we are still unsatisfied. And brothers and sisters, during our days here in the wilderness, when we sense acutely the dissatisfaction and the thirst, do not wonder, do not worry. Do not doubt, but look to the one who has promised satisfaction and who has signaled his intention to do it 
in taking on human flesh and being born to deliver us. We've seen that in our wilderness we are unsatisfied. And we wonder if we will ever be satisfied, but one more lesson we take from the people of God here is that the water of God satisfies us at last. This story wouldn't be worth reading if it was just a bunch of thirsty people in the wilderness. It's only worth reading and repeating because at the end they are satisfied and not in a common or ordinary way. They are satisfied because of the powerful hand of God at work for them. Listen to verses 5 and 6. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people of Israel, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come about out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So first, I want you to picture the situation. Thirsty people in the wilderness, aching and longing for what they truly need. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. And in their thirst, they seek satisfaction in the wrong places. And they wonder if there's any hope of being satisfied. And their complaints are silenced when God sends their leader to strike a rock with a stick. And enough water flows out of that rock for the hundreds of thousands of people and livestock to drink and be satisfied. Water from a rock, not a spring in the ground, not a hidden stream, not even rain. Water from a rock. God provides by grace, and He provides miraculously, and that is how He satisfies us. When God gives us what we thirst for, the peace, the acceptance, the justice, the joy, He gives it suddenly. He gives it surprisingly. He gives it fully from an unlikely source. Now remember the real question they were asking in verse 7 when Moses gave the name to that place, naming it Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and they tested the Lord. What were they saying? Is the Lord among us or not? The people wanted to know if God was with them. Because if God was with them, all would be well. And the fact that they were thirsty and unsatisfied, they said, well, God must not be with us. That's what we end up wondering. Is the Lord among us or not? Is God even with me? If God is with us, we can know we will be satisfied. And that brings us right back again to the story of Christmas. I told you we'd keep getting back to it. Matthew 1, verse 21. As the angel appears to Joseph and gives him this message, says that Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Hang out on that slide for a moment. So we're talking about the name given to Jesus here. The name Jesus in, in Hebrew, the language that they spoke, was is God saves. The Lord saves. But then he gets another name in the next verses. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God saves Jesus. God saves. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And we know God is with us because Jesus is God with us. The Christmas story celebrates the moment God took on human form 
and lived among us, became one of us. He is God with us. And if the Lord is among us, we can know we will be satisfied. Now the Bible ties the story of the rock and the water back to Jesus even more directly later on. In 1 Corinthians 10, as Paul is thinking back on the journey of the people in the wilderness and connecting it to the journey of the people in the church today, he said, our fathers were all under the cloud. That was the cloud that led them through the wilderness. They all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, as we heard a couple weeks ago. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna we heard about last week. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. No, Jesus did not transform into a boulder he is saying that when, Jesus, when Israel was in the wilderness, God met their thirst through a rock that was struck. The rock that gave water shows us something about Jesus. It points to Him because Jesus gives us exactly what we need in a way we do not expect. In Christ, we have the rock of our salvation who was struck for us. As, the, as Moses had to take the staff and strike the rock for it to produce water, Christ had to be struck on our behalf. As we hear in Isaiah 53, He, the Messiah, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. When this rock was struck, He was put to death for our sins. And from His death, life flowed. In John 7, Jesus stood and said to the people, it was on the last and greatest day of one of the feasts of the Israelites, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John's little explanation there at the end matters. The streams of water do not exist in our hearts until Jesus is glorified, which when John speaks of that, he's always speaking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. When the rock is struck, when Christ is struck, life-giving water flows to satisfy us. The striking down of Jesus opens up for us streams of satisfaction as our sins are forgiven as our separation from God is repaired, our fear of death is conquered, and the shalom, the peace that our hearts thirst after, is freely and fully given to all who will come to Him and drink. I said at the beginning of the sermon that every story in the Bible points us to Christmas, and that Christmas explains every story in the Bible. Let me add one more thought to that. That's only true if we understand Christmas through the lens of the cross. If Christmas is just the story of God showing His love by sending a baby and angels and shepherds and wise men and let's be merry and joyful and happy and have time with family, then we do not get Christmas and Christmas has nothing to do with what Scripture tells us. The story of a little child born in a manger is only meaningful if that child grows to be the Savior who would give up his own life in exchange for sinners. The fountain of life that flows from that rock for us, not to be gross here, 
But it is not water that flowed from that rock to satisfy us. It was blood. Because it is not water that forgives us. It is not water that pays the price for our rebellion, for our sin, for our doubt, for our unbelief. It is the blood of Jesus because only in His death, only in His death are we brought back to God. As we confessed this morning in our assurance of pardon, we heard that we are justified by the death of Christ. Only by His death are we made right with God. Because the root, the root of all your dissatisfaction, the source of all your thirst and unhappiness in the wilderness, the root of it all is sin which separates you from God because God alone is the source of satisfaction. God alone is your source of peace. God alone is your security, your contentment, your acceptance, your belonging, and everything you thirst for is found in God alone. And by sin you have been cut off from Him. And only by the blood of Christ are you brought back. Would you be satisfied? Do you thirst even now? in the wilderness. Go to the rock. Look to Jesus Christ and be washed by His blood. That is what Christmas is for. That God stepped in, took on flesh and blood, that He might be struck and give His blood to satisfy. A thirsty, unsatisfied, confused people are saved because God put an end to their longings when they finally returned to Him. We are a thirsty people in the wilderness, brothers and sisters. And at Christmas we celebrate because God has promised to put an end to all our thirsting as we come to Him. Let us thank Him and praise Him for the fountain that flows from Him. Our Heavenly Father, we do rejoice that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from the veins of Emmanuel, God with us. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The sin which had separated us from you, which cut us off from life and joy and peace and comfort and belonging and purpose and everything else our hearts long for every day, everything we pursue and so many other things that will leave us unsatisfied. The blood of Christ makes way the path to be reunited to the God who loved us and made us to be satisfied in Him. We thank You that You have done this for us. We celebrate it every week and especially this season. In the name of the One who was struck for us, we pray. Amen.